Hello and welcome to Think Business Futures. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, coming to you from two SER studios in Sydney on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. Broadcast right around Australia on the Community Radio Network and around the world, wherever you get your podcasts. Each week, we take a closer look at the business issues making up the news. This program is made possible by the assistance of the UTS Business School. If you watch sports, there's no avoiding the glaring presence of sports betting and its ads. With changes in technology, gambling ads pervade not only our TV screens and on-field advertising, but also our podcasts, YouTube videos and social media feeds. With narratives of young larrikin punters who like a joke, a drink and a bet being sold at an alarming rate across all platforms, sports betting is becoming an increasingly prominent part of sports culture itself. On today's show, we look at how technology and advertising has led to the ubiquity of sports betting, how sports gambling is changing our relationship with sports, and how sporting codes, the media and governments are complicit in this sports betting boom. Joining me in the studio is Dr. Adam Cohen, lecturer for sports management at the University of Technology Sydney Business School, and David Rowe, Emeritus Professor of Cultural Research at the Institute for Culture and Society at Western Sydney University. Adam, David, thanks so much for joining me today on Think Business Futures. Good to be here. Thanks for having us. Okay, so today we're going to talk about the ubiquity of sports betting and sports betting advertising in Australia and its impacts. Now, Adam, in some recent news, certain NRL clubs are supporting the New South Wales government's Reclaim the Game initiative. Tell us a bit about this Reclaim the Game initiative and what this story says about where we're at in terms of sports betting advertising in Australia these days? Basically, long story short, there's some teams that are concerned about the way that gambling is is impacting fandom. This idea that it is everywhere, that anyone that when they're consuming their sport, they're inundated with commercials, with sponsorship, with ads. You know, it's conversation that's driving a lot of people's fandom that instead of rooting for the team or the player or the results, you're rooting for your tipping interests. You're rooting for your bets. You're rooting for how many goals somebody scores. Or you're rooting against teams or against players. So a lot of ownership, like you mentioned, is starting to push for initiatives like these to de-emphasize gambling and to kind of get back to the roots of fandom versus the money aspects of it. What else does Reclaim the Game, though, tell us about the state of advertising? I mean, I am a 35-year-old male. I'm probably right in the middle of the demographic that a lot of sports betting agencies look to advertise to, and it's evident from the advertising that I receive on my smartphone, on the TV, on my social media. I mean, I'm not even a gambler. I don't even have an account. So what does Reclaim the Game tell us about the ubiquity of advertising? And and let's just dwell on this subject for a bit because I can't remember anything being advertised so heavily. A lot of these sports in Australia, they're trying to grow. And whether it's the salary cap going up or the way they're spending to promote. And there's only so many areas in Australian advertising where you can get big money from. But the heavy hitter in the space right now is these gambling companies, whether it's Tab or Sportsbet or Bet365. And it's just been an easy win for teams to take their $100 million or you know to take that type of money. And as you mentioned, it, these companies, they have the money to blow. 
And they have huge budgets for customer acquisition costs, which means they're going to put it everywhere, on your social media, on TikTok, on Twitter, on bus stations and in the train stations and television. And in Australia, it's so easy for them to just throw money and have it show up everywhere. All right. Well, David, something very interesting that I've read in some of your work is the interconnected relationship between sports themselves sports gambling, the media, and advertising. Do you want to just tell us a bit about that relationship and sort of where it takes us and where it leads? Sure. I mean, I might just um, first observe that a certain irony of the Reclaim the Game initiative, which is um, it's not as if the game was claimed by gambling by force. I mean, essentially, Australian sports in this case are, uh, um, are admitting their own failure to keep gambling and betting at bay. So the the idea that somehow they've been sort of innocent parties in this and they have to kind of reclaim territory, I find amusing. They have been complicit in this very move. Mm. And the reason is, historically, I mean, sport lends itself to uh, gambling. Now, there are some sports that were essentially developed for that sole purpose. Things of horse racing, for example, greyhound racing. I mean, they are organized around betting. And what happened bit by bit as sport industrialized, professionalized and so on, and got more uh, involved with the media, was that you, you created this kind of nexus of sport and, and gambling and media. They all kind of went together in various ways. So sport could um, could get lots of money from gambling sponsorships, and you know, as Adam's mentioned, all kinds of ways, from naming stadia to what you wear on your shirts and to being bombarded with ads when you're, like I am, trying to watch SBS on demand. And the idea is really to carpet bomb the entire population with gambling messages, particularly using sport, which is uh, you know, an exciting and revered element of culture, the media give it all kinds of, of exposure. Advertising makes it ubiquitous throughout the population. Uh, it all fits together very neatly and with technological developments, as you've mentioned, makes it easier and easier. Lingering on the changes in technology then, because it is fascinating. I remember being young and I remember looking at a TAB and I didn't really know what it was. Even that accessibility. If you walk into a TAB and you don't know what it is, I feel like someone needs to give you a half an hour tutorial on how to use the system. However, now sports betting apps are so approachable. They're built in the same way that any other app that we use are. Everything is extremely intuitive, tailored to cater to our impulses. There's offerings of free bets these sorts of lures are so common and so easy for people to to get established adam how has this part of technology changed just this approachability and accessibility and of course this you know comes into the conversation that we're talking about advertising and how ubiquitous it is I'm one of those people that when I'm trying to, whether it's place an order or just 
communicate anyway, like I never want to talk to a human being. You know, if I want a burger, I want to press a button on Uber Eats and have the burger delivered to me. And gambling has been the same. You mentioned old, the old school days, you'd have to go into a tab or you'd have to go to a, a track and you'd actually have to like talk to a human and you'd have to, or you'd have to figure out all these complicated, you know, systems. And now the NBA is going on right now over in America. You know, my favorite team Celtics are playing right now. I could bring my phone out. I could watch the game. I could click a button and I could bet 8,000 different things, whether it's point totals or, you know, winning or losing. And I could do that in 30 seconds, you know, just sitting here. It's just, it's so easy. You know, I, I teach a sport management class and I surveyed my students how many people had a sports betting app on their phone. And I was shocked that it was over 80% had an app on their phone. So that's that kind of that key demographic of, you know, 18, 21 year olds that again, you know, I'm sure literally sitting in my class that they're betting on NFL or tipping whatever they want. So the ease of that has just made it so prolific everywhere. And to tie it back to advertising, one of the reasons everybody has it on their phone is we all know it exists. You know, we have these 8,000 commercials that say, oh, download this app. You mentioned bonuses, get a free $50, get a free $20. They make it very easy. They make everybody aware about it. And just the, the simplicity is is everywhere now. David, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, I think I might mention generational differences here, which are when I was growing up, betting shops were regarded as places of ill repute. Mm. I, I grew up in England in the, in, in the respectable working class. And I remember being warned, you know, as a teenager not to go into betting shops and some of my friends would slip in and make a bet. It was very, seemed very transgressive. And I, I still pick up on that. I think they're very cleverly designed ads aimed at kind of larrikin young men they don't want to be socially engineered they don't want to be pushed around they don't want to be told what to bet on what to drink what to drive you know and so i mean in a way i'm i'm kind of dinosaur here i'm kind of looking slightly in a bemused way because again unlike adam i'm the opposite i like interactions with living breathing human beings I refuse to use when I go into the supermarket, you know, the, uh, you know, the machines, I almost always insist, even though they're basic transactions, human transactions, I prefer it. So now what is all this anger? Do you say these people, they're digital natives, they have apps on their phones, they're bombarded with this stuff. So there's the, as I said, the kind of carpet bombing that's going on, but it's also very cleverly targeted. And even I, you know, respond, I'm quite amused by these ads. They're beautifully made. They're funny. They're quite uh, alluring in a way. And I could see myself, if I was a young male in a pub, you know, doing the kinds of things that, uh, you know, the ads show, you know, that they're actually being sociable through gambling. Like that seems to be their, you know, one, a key aspect of having fun uh, with your mates is to be gambling at the same time. Do you think that... The way that you know these ads are, are being delivered and the, and and who they're targeted to, David, is like how do you think that it's impacting culture and the way that we engage with sports? Because it's so ubiquitous now, and you know, I'm not a, I'm not a gambler, but I I'd, I'd say that maybe not the majority, but the, a large proportion of my friends gamble on sports, and they have these 
WhatsApp groups where they discuss their 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 tipping. There's there's punters clubs. There's betting with your mates. That larrikin culture that you, you're talking about. How does this sort of change the way that we engage with sports because of the proliferation of this advertising and, and how ubiquitous you know the whole sports betting industry is? Do we feel like we're missing out on something now if we're not engaged in it when we do just watch a sports game with friends? I mean, I think uh, if you're in in the, the kind of demographic you're mentioning, I think that you know there would be an element of that would be social pressure to be involved because you know, who wants to be? on the outside in in those social circumstances. I mean, what has happened progressively is that sport and gambling have been conceptually brought together. You know, they've been integrated in a way that it becomes very hard to separate them. Like it becomes increasingly hard to think about sport without thinking about the odds, without thinking about the ad that you saw about the sport event that you're going to watch and so on. You want to talk about the deeper kind of social implications of all this. Not so long ago, I did an Australian Research Council funded grant on sport culture in Australia. And I I did it in Western Sydney, quite deliberately. Western Sydney University is my home university. And uh, and I spent a, a lot of time researching, talking to people about the position of sport in Australian culture. And over and over again, parents in particular raised with me their concerns with gambling. For example, if you're having an argument, sorry, not an argument, not the way to put it, but if you're having a debate about sport in Australian culture, and you might say, for example, look, um, I think it's a good thing that young people get involved in sport from any cultural background. You know, that it's good for, for girls, people from marginalised backgrounds and so, uh, and so on. It's good for them to be in, involved in sport because sport is a positive social and cultural force. And then a parent says to me, yeah, but what about all this gambling? I don't want my kid getting into that culture. You're saying it's healthy. I think it's unhealthy. I find it difficult to uh, rebut that suggestion. If I was a parent and my kid wants to get in sport, but I then I see that just opens them up to being bombarded with gambling messages, I would have a duty of care and concern too. Mm. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to 2SER 107.3. This is Think Business Futures. My name is Stefan Postuma, and I'm joined in the studio by Adam Cohen from the University of Technology Sydney Business School and by David Rowe from Western Sydney University. We're talking about sports betting and how it is affecting our relationship with sports. Adam, I know that you've sort of done some work in the past on how gambling can enhance not only our engagement with sports, giving us a bit of skin in the game when we're when we're watching something increases our interest. How do you see it in terms of weighing up how gambling affects people's engagement with sport negatively, the concerns of the parents that David mentioned, and you know, the positive impacts that it has? Yeah, I, I think from the big picture, if we're gonna root for sport, we need there needs to be stakes. It doesn't necessarily have to be financial. So People can tell from the accent. I'm from America. I'm a big time Boston sports fan. I'll root 
my heart out for the Patriots or the Red Sox or the Celtics. And I don't need financial st- You know, I have enough emotional stakes, whether it's my family history or how I grew up or how I, you know, love the players. So that's my stakes in terms of that team. But maybe when we get into the WNBA or we get into women's M- MMA or, you know, a niche Olympic sport, then I don't know the players. I don't even really know the game. So what is it that's going to get me to care? It could be financial. It could be the idea that if I tip five bucks, ten bucks, and all of a sudden I am going to be more likely to turn on the TV or I'm going to be more likely to know who the athletes are or who the players are. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be financial. It could be stakes. Again, you know, you and your mates are having a friendly side bet, or you're coming up with a pool or some wager. So none of us root for sport without some kind of emotional attachment, and it doesn't necessarily have to be fiscal. But the betting side of things has simplified ways to to add these stakes to um, to to your perception. Yeah, David, do you, do you want to expand on this a little bit? I think that this idea of stakes is really interesting. And, you know, I feel like the, the demographic is somewhat younger these days. You used to look into TABs and it wasn't 19-year-olds like Adam's students, 80% of which who have betting apps. There was a study that came out recently that said almost 50% of 12 to 17-year-olds see gambling advertising on TV on a weekly basis. When the, when the stakes begin in the context of gambling rather than in the context of a passion for a team or a club or something like that, which is all I was, you know, that, that was the only stakes I ever had growing up. And it's still the only stakes that I have now. You know, how is this changing in terms of demographics? And, and yeah, where do you see it, David? Yeah, I think it is changing. And uh, I mean, I'll give a bit of my own biography like mm. Adam did his, which will give the idea of what it means to be a football fan or a sport fan. So my pa- my team, my passion, is a team called Plymouth Argyle. They are a hometown club, been going since the 1880s. My dad took me when I was five or so. You don't need to persuade the likes of me and Adam and, t- you and yourself in terms of your team. You don't, you know, we don't, we might gamble on them a bit, but that's not our primary motivation. But the whole idea is as suggested, to bring people into the sports gambling environment who aren't really sports fans. They don't actually care that much. It's a vehicle, becomes a vehicle for gambling. And uh, so their investment is not sporting. You know, they don't care really Mm. about the club um, or the community that it serves or anything like that. What they care about is... you know, a set of numbers and an investment on a technology that's in their hand. Mm. Yeah, it's in, it's an interesting interesting point, and I think that something that I've noticed in the way that my friends discuss sports now, a lot of it is is in the context of gambling. So, you know, previously you might be talking about your favorite player or the best player on the team and how likely they are to score a try or how likely your team are to win the game or whatever. But now instead of just having those conversations and saying, oh, yeah, he's been playing well, I think that the opposing number this week isn't a good defender, so he'll probably has a chance of scoring. The conversation is more so, well, he's paying, he's paying, uh, you know, only $1.10 as first try scorer. So, you know, he's definitely in with a good chance. And, you know, the team are heavy favourites and, and, and things like that. Adam, do you think that it 
ch- is changing the way we discuss sports and the the context in which we view sports? It's probably a, a bigger picture in general about how sports and fandom is steering more analytical and number based, and and that's probably a whole nother podcast. Mm. But obviously, people are becoming more aware of beyond just the surface level, who scored a goal or who got a penalty. And you know the analytics behind it. And you know people are starting to learn more about the the, the science. And correlating with that is the gambling side of things. So how likely is someone to, to score a try? How likely is someone to win a tennis match? You can correlate that with uh, it's just a dollar ten. This this should happen. It's not a crazy long shot or anything of that nature. Uh, whether that's good or bad for sport is you know a, a whole other topic. I I would think it does turn off a lot of youth when it's less about the passion or the excitement or there's less mystery or upsets versus oh you know someone was you know a ninety two percent favorite to win this game or so and so you know just did what they were supposed to according to the numbers. But for others, I think it does turn them on because there's a greater sense of knowledge about the sport beyond mm. the surface level just because you consume it in in a, in a whole new way again. So, yeah, I'd say there's positives and negatives to that. Mm, okay. All right. Well, it's it's almost time for us to start wrapping up. And something you mentioned, David, is pushback. Now, you know, we've taken problem gambling as a given you know this is the pointy end of 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 what we're talking about and why so much sports gambling and sports gambling advertising can be problematic and might and might lead to really really bad outcomes for a lot of people where do we see the pushback because in terms of gambling i see pushback against pokies because there's a social. There seems to be a social awareness about the impact, is particularly in New South Wales, that pokies have on society, and I see pushback in things like the nup to the cup movement, and that's just as much a animal rights pressure as it is people recognizing how gambling affects people. Do you think that we're behind in terms of uh, social pushback on sports gambling? Are we sort of a little bit behind? Is society a little bit behind in recognizing how problem gambling can turn out? And is sports gambling somewhat more accepted for some reason? Yes, a little bit behind, a lot behind, a way, way behind. And I mean, sport isn't the only form, form of gambling. And, you know, we are talking here in Sydney, in a town where the disgrace of casino. Uh, gambling is in front of us at, the, mm. at this very moment, and the, the whole way that gambling has evolved, though, is, is it's intermeshed with public funding. So the idea that gambling taxes are worth the pain of problem gambling and so on, and all the other issues that go with it, you know, because the money goes into the state coffers and uh, and that funds. You know, as the sports argue, it funds community sports, you know, and uh, and it funds hospitals and schools and, and all those, you know, those, those justifications that are given for it. So we've seen, what you know, what have we seen so far in terms of pushback? We've seen, we have discussed today the way the language of gambling and the culture of gambling has insinuated itself into sport seamlessly so that we can't even talk or think about sport, many of us, mm. without um, talking about gambling. Now there are some, you know, there's a little bit of conscience around saying, you know, perhaps professional sport 
has become too dependent on gambling revenue and state governments too, because if you try and match the social and financial cost of gambling um, on sport versus the money that comes from taxes and sponsorship, economists tell me that we're behind on the ledger. You know, that, mm. that actually, gambling costs more than it actually raises, in, and even if you take into account employment and all the, all the other factors. Uh, so um, we are at this point now where uh, there is some pushback. There's been pushback for a long time. People who push back, they're, they're, they're the anti-fun police. And I, and I must admit, you know, as someone who gambles extremely rarely, but it does have its exhilarating moments. I do, I do get the appeal of it. But what I fear when I, you talk about problem gambling is that actually, you know, people aren't enjoying problem gambling. It's a compulsive form of behaviour, and they and it destroys lives. So we we have to deal with that. But more generally, across the whole population, um, I think we have to bit by bit unravel sport and gambling. Um, there is a place for gambling in sport. I'm not an abolitionist. But if you're not an abolitionist, then the argument is, well, then you've got to be involved in very unglamorous, hard policy pushback, both from governments, but also from civil society, from sports clubs and community groups themselves. It's a bit, but it's going to be very hard because the stakes are very high and the people who make lots of money out of sports gambling are very smart and very influential. Mm, absolutely. And I think that the the sort of addictive hooks of technology combined with the addictive hooks of gambling are almost too much for, for a lot of people, and especially when it's being brought to such young audiences. Adam, what are your thoughts to, to finish off on finding a place of, of balance where sports and gambling, you know, they, they do work together and they might enhance the experience, um, but, you know, it doesn't cause too many problems down the end of the line. And, you know, another aspect of this is just, I get sick of sports advertising. Sell me something else. Um, I kind of consider now we're in the kind of the glorification period of it. And I've used a comparison to almost what the, the smoking industry was in like the 1940s, 1950s, where it was cool that every Hollywood movie, you had you know someone riding up on the horse and the cowboy hat, smoking a cigarette, and you had the advertisement, and you know, you're a man's man, you're smoking cigarettes, and the commercials were everywhere, the ads were everywhere. And then there was a shift that, oh, wait, this is bad for you, we got to we got to do something about this. And this is gambling right now. All the ads are, oh, get rich or enjoy your team or brings you together and bring, you know, makes friendship and it's just going to make sport more fun. And the, the question is, is what's going to be next? Because something is coming next. There, There is problems, obviously. The data shows it. The research shows it. Um, it's not going away. It's not getting banned. It's not getting abolished, like David said. But I think we're going to have more regulation. I think we're going to have, you know, Every gambling commercial, it has like the fine print. If you have a problem, call this number or go to this website. But nobody reads that. Nobody knows it exists. I think there's going to be more educational opportunities of the dangers of it. I think there's going to be more focus on how do we restrict kids from getting in this space. I think there's going to potentially be more limitations. This is a, a much bigger conversation. But I think that next step is coming where people are recognizing that it's here. It's everywhere. Everybody's doing it. But... Now, how do we kind of take a step back? How do we fix some of the main problems while still allowing it to coexist with sport as it is right now? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think that it's just sort of clear when you turn on the TV and watch, you know, any any sport, any game that the sun is shining and the sports betting agencies are making hay and who knows when the clouds will come over but they might come from the public they might come from the government or from all directions but yeah definitely a work in progress unfortunately we've got to end it there that's all we have time for but david and adam it's been a pleasure thanks so much for joining me here on thick business futures thank you it was fun thanks for having us Thank you for joining us for another episode of Think Business Futures. Thank you to my guests, Adam Cohen and David Rowe. You can listen and share this chat wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to get Think Business Futures in your feed each week. And please support the show by leaving a review. I'm your host, Stefan Postuma, and I'll see you again somewhere in the world of business next week.